forward to hear my conversation with Blue Water team members Dave Taylor and Tyler Hewitt. We talk all about growth versus value and why that's a misconception, the future of the green energy transition and digitization, and the opportunities that that presents for Blue Water. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schner, and I'm delighted to have two guests today, David Taylor and Tyler Hewitt. Both are members of the McKinsey Blue Water team. Gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. We last had you on the podcast back in November of last year. You had nicely just joined uh, the organization at that point in time, uh, coming in uh, in April. Uh, curious, how's it going? How are you feeling? It's been a great year. I think I can speak for both of us. So we started again in, in April of 2022. Uh, it's hard to believe. I mean, we spent the first seven or eight months just going deep on companies, going through that big universe of 2,000 names. We launched NextGen in the fall, in October. Um, it's been a strong start. We're really pleased with the reception that we've had. And, and most importantly, we're, we're fully integrated with the Blue Water team. Um, I mean, I think I can speak to both of us. It's been a very smooth transition. Uh, again, that comes back to that alignment on philosophy, great right. people. I mean, we really are. It's one team. We're integrated with David on the US and, and the global mandates in every possible way. I mean, portfolios, names, marketing. Uh, and then with Dina and Shaw on the Canadian side and supporting them uh, on the foreign names. And so, yeah, overall, just really happy with the transition and, and the team. Excellent. Well, let's let's transition. Glad to hear that, that things are going well. Let's transition to sort of the meat of the conversation. Um, and I, I'd really like to start off by talking about something that maybe has been talked about at nauseum within financial markets, which is this concept of growth versus value. Um, and there's always questions surrounding what's going to be in favor, what cycle are we in, uh, those types of things with growth and value. I know that your team doesn't really subscribe to viewing it that way. Uh, so I'd love for you to just walk me through how you view periods of structural change and, and how you dissect that growth versus value and maybe what you're replacing with. Sure, Matt, maybe I could take that one. So I think there's a couple of different aspects to consider when you're assessing growth versus value. I think the most important one is to kind of realize that over long periods of time, uh, outperformance is explained by fundamentals. So if something, some area of the market, some sector, a group of stocks outperforms for a long period of time, uh, it's usually because the underlying companies had a lot of success versus, versus the market in particular. So when we look back at what drove performance over, you know, the past few decades, there is usually some strong kind of underlying fundamental change or current, if you will, that drove uh, that performance. So if you think back to the 1990s, it was the build out of the internet and uh, TMT outperformed. So that was, um, that was kind of uh, categorized as a growth market. Um, the 2000s was the industrialization of China. Uh, and that meant huge demand for commodities. So resource companies did well, and that was called value. And then back to the decade that just ended, uh, the 2010s, it was software, FANG, the earlier parts of digitization which again was called growth, so back to growth. But I think there's a couple of things to notice here. First of all, this wasn't simply a style shift for 10 years. The fundamentals of the companies 
that drove the returns got much, much better in each case. I, I think that's a key point that is missed right. a lot in the growth versus value um, conversation. I think the market as a whole, on a big picture basis, has gotten a lot more efficient over the past few decades. And, and what I mean by that are that companies that have better growth, companies that have more predictable earnings, that have stronger moats, that have better cash flow conversion, they trade at higher multiples. Um, it's actually one of the reasons why, why we think using cash flow is so important because that, it, again, is a big determinant of the success of companies. The style indices themselves, the growth versus value indices, are based on pretty cut and dry criteria, price to earnings, price to book, that don't really reflect what the underlying fundamentals look like. So just to, to conclude um, answering your question, when you're asking, are we in a period where value is set to outperform, you really have to ask yourself if you think that the companies that compose most of these value indices, and those would be right now, banks, oil companies, telcos, if they're going to fundamentally be much stronger than the market over the next decade. Great context on that. And I think it just begs the question, what do you think is going to do well over the next decade? Yeah, I mean, the opportunities we really see in the decade to come are really attached to this, these big, broad themes of energy transition uh, and digitization, which is a pretty all-encompassing topic, cyber, right. cloud, communication. Uh, but you also have AI now, which is a big part of that. Well, why don't we maybe we dig into both of those uh, through the, the balance of the conversation. Let's start with uh, energy transition. Um, this is something that um, when you think about the scale of the transition, we've had lots of conversations on this podcast with uh, both uh, you, your colleagues, um, the green ship folks, about the massive amount of, of work that we have to do to effectively rebuild the infrastructure uh, of the globe. Where do you think, uh, if you walk this through, like your observations on the overall topic, uh, what has to happen and maybe subsequently how you're positioned? I mean, it's fascinating. You really have this, this big platform change happening. And you think about it, 100 years ago, we made this switch from horse and buggy to internal combustion engine. And we're embarking on this big platform change again from ice to electric. And it's amazing. You look out, you kind of just see this from everywhere. You see it from software companies, semi companies, grid transition companies, HVAC companies. And it becomes, you know, very clear where we're going. And I mean, EVs are really moving from something that's been this luxury item to something more mainstream, right? We, we right. can all see it. I mean, you look out the window, there are, there are more Teslas on the road than ever before. Um, but this is a big deal, right? It's a complete remaking of our energy infrastructure, which, I mean, arguably is probably the most complex system on the planet. So this is everything from how energy is produced, you know, more solar, wind, renewables, to how it's consumed, to storage. I mean, requiring something in the order of $100 trillion in capital. So truly a, a multi-decade opportunity. And we're very early in. And there's just so much support going into this and government support. They passed the Inflation Reduction Act last year. It's an important piece of legislation for, for decarbonization. I mean, it's actually incredible that they passed this with bipartisan support. Um, right. But the end result, I mean, more renewables, more batteries. The grid is being upgraded. Hydrogen charging. Tyler, do you want to add to that? Well, I think the other part too is like this is like this is really exciting for humanity too, right? And it's really exciting for the world. When you think about changing over kind of the world's 
system for, for energy production and consumption for that matter. Um, we've taken it for granted for so long and forgetting that, uh, you know, our current form of energy, fossil fuel energy is in problematic kind of geopolitical areas of the world. Uh, it's hard to move. It's not good for the environment. It kind of smells. It's inconvenient in a lot of ways. And right. we're kind of talking about moving to a system that requires a lot of upfront capex. Uh, but after that, you're talking about like very cheap, convenient uh, forms of, of energy that also are, are better for the planet. Great. Curious. Um, we are embarking on the transition. You said we're, we're quite early on it. In your view, uh, in, I guess the other thing is that clearly um, stocks respond to these momentum uh, valuations change uh, fairly significantly. So how are you currently thinking about positioning uh, your portfolio uh, and, and gain exposure to this transition? So I think the best place to start here is actually to talk about what we're not investing in, what is not um, attractive to us. When, when we talk a lot about energy transition, and it's a big trend that we've been talking about for, for a while now, um, we get some people that look at the portfolio and say, like, where's the energy transition? You don't own any right. battery companies. You don't own any lithium miners. You don't even own, you don't own copper companies. Um, you don't even own Tesla or, or any of the other companies that, that make kind of these electric vehicles that you think are a big part of uh, kind of the tip of the spear on on the change on this ener uh, energy transition and the reason why is because there are areas uh there sorry there are things in each of those areas that um are not attractive investments particularly when you think back to kind of the you know the blue water style of investing and um you know you had john cook on a week or two ago i, I think that was a great podcast on kind of the future of battery technology and the takeaway from that is that there's tons of capital and r d and investment going into that area from right. our point of view, it, like what that means is it's very uncertain what the battery of the future is going to look like, which means for us, it's very uncertain to pick who the winners are going to be. Um, you know, other areas like, you know, the automakers, uh, we're going from um, like a small handful of companies in North America that are making electric vehicles to to like dozens of them. And by the way, you've got the Chinese competitors where there's over 200 models with another 100 being added every year. So, right. um, so from that perspective, it's they're, they're just not area like areas that are full of comp, uh, competition um, that don't really have attractive um, margins anyway, and then very uncertain how to pick winners. So you know, with the blue water philosophy, what we're looking for are companies in areas of the market that are um, companies that are leaders. Sorry, in areas of the market that are pretty certain to benefit just from the transition happening less so from exactly how it happens. Give me some examples of, of, of those types of companies. What do they do and, and where do they fit in? Yeah, I think a name like Schneider Electric really jumps out there, right? So the story here, so this is this big French conglomerate, the leader in low and medium voltage grid intelligence tools. But the story here is really about how the grid is evolving. Do so you think back, I mean, 25 years ago, I worked with Ontario Hydro. Right. Okay. When you think about, I think about that. It's like power was produced. It got fed into the transmission line. It went out to the consumer. I mean, very hub and spoke. And you think about, you know, now, but more importantly, where things are going, it's certainly more of this mesh network, right? You have wind farms, you have solar farms, you have energy storage, kind of all of these things have to talk to one another. That requires 
a lot more hardware, a lot more software, a lot more grid intelligence. I mean, if everyone in, in Toronto goes out and buys an EV tomorrow, sadly, the grid fails. Right. So, <laughs> you have blackouts. So this is truly about what the grid is going to be in 2030, what it's going to be in 2040. And, and a name like Schneider has completely repositioned its portfolio over the last 10 or 15 years. And the best part is, and they reported this week, you're seeing it in the results. So seven or eight years ago, this was a company that grew low to mid single digit. I mean, not very exciting. You're seeing those growth rates drift higher. Last year, they grew in the mid-teens, you know, this year as well. And it's, it's just a company that's very well positioned to capitalize on this big undertaking of changing our grid. Great example. Uh, totally, totally makes sense. Shifting to the second topic, digitization, and we'll get into the positioning uh, side uh, maybe at the end, but uh, you sort of, there's shared characteristics in both themes in some ways, uh, in the sense that uh, what's driven the markets this year has clearly been that AI boom, Magnificent, Magnificent Seven now uh, driving and sort of NVIDIA, those types of names. Um, so maybe we start with just your base case for digitization. Uh, why why you put this on par with the energy transition, and then we get into some of the implications on stock selection. Sure. So when you think about it, energy transition actually in some ways is just part of digitization, right? Digitization is about taking manual and mechanical things and making them more kind of electronic in nature, right? So like all of energy transition could be uh, could be considered that as well. Other parts of digitization is about, again, taking manual processes and, and replacing them with software. And of course, um, you know, taking uh, uh, mechanical functions and making them more automatic. The one I, I kind of use tongue in cheek is, is your toaster now, right? Your toaster used to have a lever that brought the toast down. Now it has a couple of buttons and a lot of semiconductors inside there. And, right, and right. you're not actually pulling any levers to make the toast go up or down. Um, and obviously the, the big one this year, is about AI. So taking uh, data and using it to be more efficient to make better decisions going forward. Great. And uh, let's maybe work, work through it in one step further. You started uh, the, the comment on the energy transition and how it translates into companies and, and portfolios by uh, what you don't own. And I'm curious if it's the same way of looking at this digitization trend. One of the sort of iconic uh, moves that I, that I think uh, happened out of Blue Water back in 2016 was this idea that no more oil and gas was going to go into the portfolio because of the acceleration of electric uh, vehicles. Do you see anything that rhymes with that in digitization or is it more the individual areas that seem like they're, they're too rich? Well, I, I think from the AI perspective, as much as we said energy transition is in the early stages, I think it's pretty clear where it's going and how we're going to get there in, in, in the big picture ways. Again, we don't know exactly like how many uh, solar versus wind farms we're going to need. We know the grid needs to be transitioned and it's early. I think with AI, we're even earlier and now we're not exactly sure how it's going to play out. Um, so let's break it down into things we know and, and things we don't. Um, we know it's not a short-term fad. Uh, in some ways, we know that because machine learning has been used in software for a long time in a lot of the companies that we've owned. The, the latest is uh, your large language models like ChatGPT obviously have, have brought a lot of attention to AI this year. That's a bit of a different type of, of artificial intelligence. But so we know that it can be used. We know it can make companies more efficient. Um, it's not a fad. It's not crypto where the use cases are, are uncertain. 
we know companies are using it. So the second thing is, you know, we're going to need more semiconductors, right? This is about crunching huge amounts of data. Um, and there's just no way around that. There's no way that you can continue to do that and advance uh, artificial intelligence and advance its uses within corporations and businesses without crunching massive amounts of data. And again, you need semis for that. I think the third thing we know is that uh, the holy grail for this from a corporate perspective, from a company perspective, is to use AI in ways that are very specific to these companies, whether it's for cost efficiency, whether it's for driving different revenue models. Um, we think that, that that is something that that has already become clear. What don't we know? Okay, we don't know. Uh, we don't know in some ways what the future revenue models will be. Like a lot of the talk so far has been about cost efficiency. I think that part is pretty obvious, especially for for some of the large language model um, talk that's been out there. Uh, you know, and we don't know who's going to come out with the best tools. So from that perspective, again, I'm going to leave it to Dave for, for to kind of bring up some specific examples, but. We focus on companies and areas of the market that build upon the things we are very, very certain about and kind of shy away from the areas that are very uncertain and kind of uh, lead to guessing. And maybe to to build on that, Matt, I mean, Tyler hit a, a key point that when you simplify this, these big waves could not happen without the innovation uh, of semiconductors. They are critical to all of this. And, and I mean, a little bit of a history lesson, but it's just remarkable where we've come from, right? Where 50 years ago, the process to design one chip took six months. I mean, you had colored pencils, soldering equipment, you know, knives, six months to design one chip. Right. And where we are today, I mean, our iPhones contain 16 billion of these on and off switches, which are transistors on something the size of our thumbnail. I mean, Moore's law truly is an incredible thing. So these semiconductors, they really are building blocks to all these waves of technology revolution that we've had, like computers, internet, iPhones, cloud. And then this next big phase, which is is AI, which as Tyler said, needs a lot of computing power. Love the way that you you frame that out. Uh, Maybe give some examples of some companies that you're currently looking at. Uh, and then maybe give some examples of companies that you think are either too expensive, too um, uh, too uncertain um, it, it, to to play within that space. I think one great company that touches on um, the, my third point of what we know and what we don't, which is that companies need to turn this into something that specifically benefits them. Uh, again, instead of you know, Blue at Blue Water, we've talked a lot about paying the playing the picks and shovels or the enablers of this right, of this right. digitization and these big changes. So instead of using uh, or trying to bet on the tools that are being used, we look at a company like Accenture. So it's the world's largest enabler of digitization for companies. So let uh, we, we make a joke kind of internally that instead of us picking the best tools, just buy Accenture, they're going to pick the best tools for their customers, right? So right. taking uh, working with companies, um, it's very difficult. Like AI is a very, it's still a very new topic. It's very complicated. And I can tell you that most companies have absolutely no clue how to implement this properly for their business. Uh, and using a company like Accenture really helps that. Um, you know, they, they definitely benefited from the last decade of, of kind of the earlier parts of digitization and software. And we think they're in a great position to benefit going forward as well. 
And then another couple names, Matt, would be, I mean, again, along this whole picks and shovel, um, semiconductors are a big beneficiary of that. You know, names like Synopsys, ASML. I mean, this whole arms race for artificial intelligence and broad move in digitization. At the end of the day, more and more chips have to be built. Here's a company that one is a monopoly, the other one is in, in a duopoly. I mean, they are beneficiaries of this and they're just phenomenal businesses. Both great examples. Any concluding thoughts on anything that we've touched on? Anything else that maybe is uh, uh, not part of those two major themes that you're seeing in the portfolio? I think that maybe the last thing to point out is we talk, I talked earlier about decades, these decades of changes. And obviously, you know, they're not, they don't, secular change does not follow calendars. Sure. <laughs> so sometimes it's less than a decade. Sometimes it goes longer. When we look at, at both of these two, energy transition and, and digitization, um, I mean, the energy transition is going to go on for longer than a decade. It has to. It's the problem, or not the problem, sorry, the solutions to the transition are, they have to be done slowly and they will. Even EV adoption is accelerating, but it's going to have to, um, it's going to have to take a while. It's a, it's a very complicated problem to fix the grid. Electric vehicles still have to get a lot cheaper. Batteries have to get a lot cheaper, as John said a couple of weeks ago. So we look at that and, um, for us, that's great because we look at companies like Schneider and Accenture. What that means is these companies have very, very long runways of, uh, of, of growth above the market from a free cash flow basis. And um, again, that in the past has led to great performance over those, those long time periods. That's great. Uh, I appreciate both of you guys taking the time walking through uh, what you're currently working on. Uh, what's exciting? It seems like uh, I, I'm left with a fair amount of optimism about the next uh, few decades uh, as we go through this transition into digitization. Lots of risk, but of course, uh, the, the world could be a better place. Uh, thank you both for taking the time. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 